Hi, welcome to another inspirational message recorded live at Oceans Unite Christian Center. Saturday night in the house of God. Got our dancing shoes on. We'll come to meet with the king. Somebody say amen. amen. Couldn't find a better night to be with you guys. I'm excited. I'm excited about the word tonight. I'm excited that I'm not where I used to be. I'm excited that you're not where you used to be. I knew some of you guys. Thank you, God. <laughs> well, I'm not Pastor Alex. They had asked me to take tonight's service, and I am very grateful and feel very honored to be able to grace the pulpit. Um, so I want to thank Pastor Alex and Pastor Naomi for, for the opportunity to minister the word. Um, I believe I have a very short word tonight, but we just never know how the Spirit of God is going to move. But... Um, We serve an amazing God, an amazing God. Who is worthy of it all, every last drop, all that we got, he gave it all. He didn't withhold anything. He didn't resist. When they nailed him to the cross, he yielded. Said nobody took his life, but he, he laid it down and he gave it all. And I don't even know how to start. I'm just, I'm just leaning on the Holy Spirit up here. Y'all don't want John in the way. Nothing will happen. <laughs> I love the Word of God because there's just, there's, there's so many beautiful and powerful stories as you begin to read through people's lives and the seasons that they went through and, you know, mountaintop experiences, valleys, wars, I mean, you name it. And, and you know, as you read, sometimes you can just, like Pastor Mike, you know, me and him always talk like how we just like insert ourselves into the story, you know, like we're there in the midst of everything and and tonight there's a story I want to I want to share with you that I want you guys to insert yourself into the story you know between the the chief priest and the scribes who were plotting a way to 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 take and grab a hold and kill Jesus to Judas his agreeing to betray Jesus, in between those two, the gospel writer Mark places arguably one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. The Passover, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is just a, a few days away. And there's tens of thousands of people that are, that are flooding the streets of Jerusalem in excitement and anticipation for what's about to take place. Jesus and his disciples find themselves just east of Jerusalem in a little town called Bethany.
And they find themselves at Simon the leper's house. Now, Scripture doesn't really give us much about who Simon was. We, we know that he was a leper. In other words, he, was, he used to be in bad shape. But regardless who he, who he was, we do know when we look to the Apostle John's account of this story that Jesus and his disciples, they were amongst some very familiar company. John 12, 1 and 2 says this. Then six days, I'm literally trembling, I'm shaking up here. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Man, what a night that must have been. Simon, his house, again, we don't know from Scripture, but, but tradition says that Simon could have been Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's father, or he very well could have been Martha's husband. And that being true, Jesus and his disciples are in Bethany in the house of a family that he totally wrecked. Anybody's family wrecked for Jesus? We can't help but praise. We even got little Cara clapping and, and dancing. And, 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 and if your family isn't all on fire for Jesus yet, you can still go ahead and declare it. You can go ahead and decree it that your family is wrecked and madly in love with Jesus. So I begin to think about you know, I begin to insert myself into the story and begin to think about, you know, Simon the leper's house. See, he couldn't have been a leper any longer because he couldn't have been a around them people. So he must have been touched by Jesus. Jesus, he must have been one that had an encounter with the walking word and got healed of leprosy. So here they are. The Bible says that Jesus and Lazarus are sitting at the table. Now, to kind of paint the picture, this isn't like them sitting at our dining table. You see, the table and, and how they would, they would sit back then in those days, they would be really, really low to the ground, whether it was a stool or a, or a low you know, couch, and they would, they would recline, and they would lay back, and they would have usually one arm kind of leaning on something and the other one free to, to eat the meal and, and begin to, to fellowship. And it says that Jesus and Lazarus were there. You guys ever wonder, like, what they were talking about? Like, what the conversation would have been like? Jesus probably been like, Lazarus, man, I remember when you were dead. Man, you were smelling funky. I had to get you up out of there. That's probably not what the conversation was like, but, but we'll, soon, we'll soon find out. You see, sitting at the table of Jesus is the one who was dead but got raised from the dead. And then sitting across from Lazarus is the one that was about to die and be raised from the dead. All I see is a table full of resurrection power up in the house of Simon the leper. 
You see, when you get in the presence of Jesus, anything is possible. That which is dead comes back to life. If you need change, if you need breakthrough, you're in the right place at the right time. Muhammad can't do it. They all died and stayed dead. But there's one that died and rose again, and he's sitting at the table with Lazarus. So there Lazarus and Jesus are, and they're just shooting the breeze. They're enjoying each other's company. And then the Bible talks about, here's Martha. Oh, Martha, Martha. You see, church, Martha, she was, she was a servant. She had a servant's heart. And so here now they've got this distinguished guest in their house by the name of Jesus. And Martha's going around and she's trying to make sure that everything is perfect for her guests, that all of his needs is taken care of. There's nothing wrong with the servant. A lot of times we like to look at Mary and highlight Mary and then kind of negate what Martha was doing, but that's okay because, because serving the master is quite all right. It's a gift. Hospitality is a gift. So Martha's just tending to all the needs. She wants to make sure that everything is perfect. And then there's old Mary. Oh, sweet Mary. Y'all know Mary, don't you? The one who's just madly in love with Jesus. See, Mary was a worshiper. Mary was one of those that she didn't care what somebody else thought about her. She loved Jesus, and she didn't care how you, how, you know, what you thought about it, how you felt. Mark chapter 14, verse 3 says this. How about old precious Mary? I can't wait to meet her. It says, in being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flax, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. You see, Jesus and Lazarus are sitting at the table, and they're, they're, they're reclined. They're a little low. His head wasn't hard to get to. She didn't have to stand on a stool. But see, church, it's, it's important to note that this, that it was the custom of the day that when you had a guest in your home, that you would anoint their head. You see, it was, it was hospitable. It was a sign of respect. So this wasn't like uncommon for something like this to take place. But it's important to know this, that the oil that they would use to anoint the guest was olive oil, and the cost of it to anoint one of their guests was like a mite. And you guys know what a mite is. A mite, it's a penny. So this oil to anoint the guest is very inexpensive. Simon the leper, who obviously had a, a decent home to be able to accommodate Jesus and all his disciples and, and, and Mary and Martha and, and whoever else would have been there, he would have had some olive oil. Oh, but how many know that Mary just stepped in and, 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 and began to say, I got this. Because you see, the ones that would actually anoint the guests were usually the servants of the house. 
And Simon would have had probably many servants or slaves in that day, and it was usually those were the ones that would actually anoint the guests. But Mary began to just say, you know what, enough of that, but I've got something that I want to do. See, she didn't go and, and grab and look for the olive oil. She went for the jar, the alabaster flax of spikenard. Costly. Said that it was like a year's worth of, cost about a year's worth of wages. It was made from the root of a very rare plant from India. And it was the most expensive perfume at that time. It said that the oil was used by kings. And the kings, when they would use it, they would only use a couple of drops of it. Oh, sweet Mary. A couple of drops wasn't sufficient for this woman of God. She takes the alabaster flask. It was made of like this translucent stone, kind of like marble like today. You could kind of relate it to that. It was, they were kind of small, about five to nine inches in height. And what they would do is they would have this slender, uh, skinny neck. And the reason for that is so that it would restrict the flow of the oil from coming out. It would usually come out very slowly and drops. But you got to see this. you got to see how intentional Mary was. Mary went and she got the, the thing that was most valuable to her, at least in, when you look at it like that. She goes and she grabs this perfume and she goes over where Jesus and Lazarus is at the table and she begins to take that little flask and then she begins to take it and, and what they would do was they would break the neck of it. It was maybe a little bit brittle, so it wasn't too hard to break. And she would break it so that it wouldn't just come out in drops. Church, she busted it, showing just how intentional she was. She had no intention of putting a couple of drops like a king would do. She had every intention to pour it all because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of every last drop. She pours it out on him. She pours it out over his head and begins to saturate his head with this, this fragrant oil. If you've ever smelled spikenard, it's, it smells beautiful. This was pure nard. It probably smells much better than what we have, have now. And, and it says that the fragrance began to fill the whole atmosphere, the whole, whole room. Everybody's taking notice of what's happening right now. But it doesn't stop there. What I love about the Gospels is sometimes you can read one Gospel story and it can give you some insight and tell you a, a few parts of it. But then when you go to another Gospel writer that talks about the same event, he adds a few more details. So when you go to him, you begin to find and the whole picture begins to be unfolded and you get a better understanding. Notice what it says in the Apostle John's account of this story. John chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. When guests would come into their home, you would often give them water, and their feet would be washed. 
Now, if you've ever experienced foot washing, you know just how, how special and how powerful and precious this really is. And I know some of you are looking at me a little weird saying, I ain't touching nobody's feet, but let me tell you something. Man, I experienced foot washing and I washed another man's foot and I'm telling you the power of God showed up and it was the most beautiful thing in the world. And going into it, I didn't understand. I didn't know what was happening. All I know is I just yielded to what God was doing that night. And the power of God and the presence of God saturated the atmosphere. And God showed up in the place. I'm sitting here at Ocean Tonight Christian Center a little over a year ago. And Pastor Alex is ministering a word. I can't tell you exactly what he was ministering. But I know that he said something. And he said it from the pulpit. And after he said it, the Holy Spirit began to lay it heavily on my heart. That after this service, I needed to go home. And I needed to wash the feet of my wife and after service I went home and I took my beautiful bride and I put her in a chair and I got a bowl of water and I put a little bit of anointing oil in it and I begin to wipe my wife my wife's feet and I begin to wash them and I begin to grab her precious feet in my hand and I begin to pray over her walk with Christ I tell you this church because Mary, she takes the most expensive thing that she has and she breaks the oil over his head, but the head just wasn't good enough. She's going down to his feet and she's down there and she begins to wash and begins to anoint his feet. People don't want to touch no feet. Back in the Bible days, feet were dirty, but she didn't care. She didn't care and she, she anointed his feet with that precious fragrant oil. But church, it gets even better than that because the Bible said that after she anointed his feet, she began to, to wipe his feet with her hair. And if you know anything about Bible times, you know that the glory of a woman was in her hair. And for a woman to let down her hair and put it on some man's dirty feet <laughs> and begin to wipe off the oil off of his feet. You're talking about a true act of humility, a, a, a display of affection and adoration and, and love. And that's what she did. And she didn't care. She didn't care what anybody else did. Oh, sweet Mary. She was willing to do what nobody else was willing to do. She seized the opportunity. She seized the moment. You know what's even more powerful is this. I'm talking Mary was undone. Mary looked at this, this, this opportunity and she just, she grabbed a hold of it. Because even a woman back in those times, for her to, to break up the, the, the fellowship of men, when, when men are gathered together and they're fellowshipping, for a woman to come in and do anything but serve them was out of line. But Mary said, this is my moment. I know they're doing their man thing, but now there might not be a tomorrow, but now I have an opportunity. And she did it. By now, everybody's looking. All eyes are on Mary. She's having this beautiful and intimate encounter with her Savior. If you've ever been into that place of deep, deep worship, your surroundings aren't even, you're not even aware 
You don't know where you're at. People, can, you know, it's kind of hard to explain, but you know. She's in a lovely place. And then something happened, church. She's having this love encounter with God. And then Mark 14, 4 and 5 says this. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. You see, those that were in the presence in, in, that, in that home begin to get angry and they begin to scold her for what she was doing. You see, sometimes when you're in a deep place of worship, the religious and people around you got something to say. But the thing about it is they didn't say it to her. They murmured against themselves. Beware of the whispers. But I want to tell you this, that when you look at all three accounts of this story in the Gospels, you notice that in all three accounts, one thing is absent and one thing is present. And I'll explain. In all three accounts, what is absent is Mary's response. Mary is in a place of, of worship, and they're criticizing her because what she is doing to her Savior, and she doesn't even say a word. She didn't defend herself. She didn't try to explain what she was doing. And then in all three accounts, one thing was present. You know what was present? Jesus responded for her. She let the master address them and say something to them. And look what he said. Well, let me just back up a little bit here. Because there's something I wanted to share with you that's powerful. They asked the question, why was this fragrant oil wasted? In other languages, that phrase could have been translated like this. Why did she not think about the value of the perfume? You see, the disciples, and we know that Judas Iscariot was one of them because in one gospel it says that, that, that he said it, not that he cared for the poor, but, but that he had the money bag and he was the thief and he used to steal the money. And we know that it wasn't just him because they were murmuring amongst themselves, so there was other people with Judas. And so they're criti criticizing and all of that stuff. And you see, all they could see, all they could think about was the value of the oil. But all she could see and think about was the value of the Savior. And she sees him and, 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 he's, and he's right there and, and that's her moment. But then Jesus responds to them. Mark 14 and 6 says this. But Jesus says, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Jesus looked over at those that were criticizing Mary for what she was doing, and he told them to leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? It's, this ain't got nothing to do with you. It's between me and her. See, the thing about it is, People always want to say something. 
People always want to talk. But you see, you don't know what God did in Mary's life. You don't know what God did in my life. I don't know what God did in, in your life. And so when it comes to worship, when it comes to praise, when it comes to the adoration, that's, that's, that's intimate. That's between me and him. You see, I might not be able to carry a tune in a bucket. I might have two left feet. But you see, when it's from my heart, it makes a sound to him. And it's just, it's just us. It's just me and him. And he told him, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Don't bother her. But it gets better than this. And I saved this kind of for the, for the last Can you put verse 6 up again, Mark 14, 6? But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Those are precious words from Jesus, and I'm going to break it down so you understand what he's saying. Leave her alone. Don't bother her, because what she's doing is a good work. In the Greek, there are several words that they use for the word good. One is agathos, and this speaks of something that is done good in a moral sense. That's not the word that's used there. That's the Greek word kalos. When you do something and it's kalos, you know what it is? It's lovely. It's beautiful. It's attractive. And watch this, church. It's captivating. Jesus told those that were criticizing Mary when she was in a place of deep worship, leave her alone, don't bother her, because what she is doing has captivated me. It has gripped me. It is so attractive. It is so beautiful. It is so intimate. And I don't want it to stop. And I don't want it to stop. When was the last time that we captivated Jesus? And I love it because he told him, he said, leave her alone. Don't bother her. She's done a good work. For who? He said, for me. You see, Jesus was letting them know that she's not here putting on a show. It's not a performance for you. She's here for an audience of one. She came for one and one only, and she came for her master. She didn't, she didn't grab the alabaster flask of spikenard. She didn't come put a couple of drops of it on you, but she broke it over him. She didn't let her hair down and begin to wipe your feet. She did that to him. And in the midst of that, Jesus is reclining with Lazarus, and he's just awestruck. I think about how we get starstruck. We see like a celebrity. We're like, ah, and you can't, can't get your eyes off him. I just can't, can't help but think how, how Jesus was there and he was just watching and it was just melting his heart as this display of love and affection from Mary towards him. So powerful. So beautiful. Church, the message tonight is will you captivate him? Will you grab his attention? Because he's already made it known how he feels about it. You might not have no costly perfume. Maybe you do. 
what I mean by captivate him is, you see, what she did was she found herself in his presence in the house of Simon the leper. And while she was in his presence, she saw an opportunity to worship him. She saw an opportunity to display and to show how much she loved and how much she appreciated him. The whole family was wrecked. If he never did anything for Mary, just raising her brother from the dead was enough to worship and, and to praise him. So she seized the moment and she was willing to sacrifice. She was willing to give it all. And she was willing to do it, not caring what anybody else thought. She was undone. Will you, will we, will we be like that for him? I was looking at this, this text, and I opened up and I was talking about how, you know, the chief priests and the scribes, right before that text, they're trying to plot to take Jesus and to kill him. And then right after this, this is when Judas agrees with them to, to betray him. But in the middle is this. And I begin to think about how, how all of Jesus' life right then at that time was surrounded by people that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to rid him out of society. We live in this world and they're doing everything they can to try to push Jesus Christ out of everything. But I'm telling you at the church, if we would begin to be like Mary and we would begin to sacrifice and we would begin to let our hair down if you got some hair and begin to worship him and you would begin to invoke the presence of God you will see that you will begin to touch lives. You will begin to transform atmospheres for the glory of God. The beautiful thing about this, it was all a matter of her heart. She didn't do it for show. She didn't do cartwheels down the aisle. She didn't swing from the lights and the service. She just wanted his attention. What she did, everything she did was sincere and it was pure and it was just for him. I can't dance. I, I can't sing. But when I dance and when I sing, it's beautiful to him. When I lift my hands, and I begin to sing. I might not know the words, but I look on the screen and my eyes are open. It's making a sound because I'm, I'm loving on him. When I, when I kneel down and I lift my hands and surrender and I honor him and I tell him thank you for every place that you have brought me out of, every pit that I dug myself and put myself in, you brought me up out of that. Thank you every day that you gave me life and I woke up to your mercies that are new every single morning. Thank you for your unfailing love and every time that I cry, every time that I shed a tear, you're there to wipe away my tears and you're there to embrace me. Thank you, God for your faithfulness every single day that even when I'm not faithful, you remain faithful. You are a covenant-keeping God. Thank you for my beautiful wife. Thank you for my beautiful children. Thank you for my beautiful church. Thank you for my beautiful brothers and sisters. Thank you for a church that loves you. Thank you for pastors that love you. Thank you for an atmosphere of freedom to worship you. 
We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more teaching like this and other material, please visit our website at www.oceansunite.com.